0: Uh, I'm going to start out with just kind of, we're going to talk about the culture of the kingdom of God and the kingdom kingdom culture. Uh, But before I do and kind of get into this, I I want us to think a little bit about culture. So have you ever noticed the difference between walking into a Chick-fil-A and walking into a McDonald's? It's a diverse cultural experience. When you walk into Chick-fil-A or you order at Chick-fil-A, it feels as though they might be faking it. But it feels as though they really genuinely want you to be there and they want you to enjoy their food and they want you to have it. And what's the famous thing they say at Chick-fil-A? My pleasure, right? Like, I mean, every time, like some of you are like, I didn't know that. Go to Chick-fil-A. Get some Chick-fil-A sauce. We have a secret Chick-fil-A stash in our house, just FYI, of sauce. So yeah, that's right. Wise people. Uh, So that is how you're treated at Chick-fil-A. Like you go in, it's got this like sense of like Southern hospitality and charm. They really want you to be there. You're treated like a guest. When you go to McDonald's, it's like you are lucky to be here and you might get what you order. Maybe. Has anyone ever got an accurate order at the Wakanda McDonald's? I don't think it's ever happened in the history Guys, it's so, it's so bad at the Wakanda McDonald's that one time, so Charlie likes extra pickles on her cheeseburger. So we have, this is like, this is the order. I want a cheeseburger with ketchup and extra pickles. That's what we say. We have gotten every possible variety of cheeseburger, including no cheeseburger. Literally one time it was just ketchup and pickles. On a bun. I was like, in what world does someone, just a kid, want ketchup and pickles on a burger? Like, they just, the culture is very different. The decorations are very different. There's different expectations that you have when you walk into the place and what you, what you experience. And that's very intentional on their part. McDonald's wants you to get, they want you to come in and get your food as fast as you possibly can and get out. You're just a number to them. Chick Fil A wants you to make you feel like they're like you're a valued customer, and you could go through this and think about the difference between Chipotle and a place like I don't know, I don't wherever it doesn't matter. But but like you could go through the line and just think about the different cultures. These are these are defining cultures. They're a culture of a restaurant, and culture is something that you can experience and feel in different kinds of environments. So there are different churches have different kinds of cultures. You can walk into a church and you can right away sense, man, I feel welcomed here. Like there are some new folks to our church family. And every time we talk to them, they're like, man, I just feel like I've met so many people who really genuinely want me to be here. You could go to other churches where that's not necessarily the case, where it feels a little bit more cold. Culture is, is something that's embedded into every people and every place. And if you want this a simple definition of culture, culture is simply the values and the beliefs of a people or a place and the way that those values or beliefs are expressed. So the values of a people or a place and the way those values or beliefs are expressed. And so it's expressed in things like art, like... Different places, different cultures have different sorts of art. So art in the east, for example, in India, looks very different than art in Peru or art in the United States or art in Canada. Language is an expression of culture, the, the, the pace at which people speak. There's all these different kinds of studies of how different cultures that actually speak more words in different cultures per minute than other cultures. They're trying to fit more in. Like You're like, yeah, chill, you're talking really fast, yeah? Uh, because here, especially in the Midwest, we're fast talkers. It it pains me when I talk to some of my family members from the southeast, because they are very slow talkers. I'm like, can we we hurry up the conversation? You know, this is my own family, so I can talk about them that way. It's okay. But we have different kinds of cultures. It's expressed in in, in the different kinds of foods and the different kinds of practices that we have. And basically, all these things are expression of sometimes the unspoken values or the unspoken kind of beliefs that we have, the norms that we have. Businesses have culture, churches have culture, neighborhoods even have culture. There's a very different kind of culture in a neighborhood down the street that has a gated kind of community versus a neighborhood that maybe doesn't have those kinds of amenities, right? There's different kinds of cultures that express that. So you don't know oftentimes what the culture is that you're a part of until it comes into conflict or into contrast with something else. Like, so, so you may not recognize what your culture is and how you're informed by culture until it actually comes into conflict or contrast with someone else from a different culture and you come into a contrast with their values. Let me explain. Have you ever been to The Jewel? I like to call it The Jewel. We were just talking about this the other night. The Jewel in Wakanda. And there's someone who either by, the, by their language or by the color of their skin, you clearly recognize they have a different cultural background than you do. And, and it feels like, the, like they're not respecting. This is before like physical distancing and social distancing was a thing. They're not re, like respecting your personal space. Like they're right up on you as you're in the checkout. You're like, I just need a little bit of room here. This is like pre-COVID, Right. Like, this is because in other places in the world outside of the U.S., like, like those physical barriers and boundaries are very different. There are, sometimes it's because you have more densely populated areas, and so you can't afford to have that kind of, like, personal space. But here, especially here in the Midwest with, with kind of wide open spaces, we kind of have a sense of our own personal space, and we recognize that sometimes when someone's, like, right up on us, Right? Like, and that, that you might not recognize that, but that's a, that's a cultural value that you have. It's not good or bad, it just is. If you were to go to a, another place in the, in the world, maybe they would have a different kind of cultural value and that personal space might be different. So things like, for example, physical touch. Like, that's a cultural value that we that we have and, we, and we're all different within different families and maybe even different places around the U.S., but it really can be different in different places in the world. So uh, a few... Uh, now 20 years ago, I went to India and someone had warned me that when I go there, I should be prepared because guys who are friends or who are family occasionally hold hands and it's a completely heterosexual thing. Like there's no, no physical attraction involved. It's just a thing of intimacy between some, some men. and just means you're my good friend. I was warned of this. I was prepared for this. And then I went to India and was at the zoo with a a person that I had befriended, and we're standing there looking at some some animals, and all of a sudden, I feel a hand grab a hold of my hand, And I'm like, the only time I hold a man's hand is when we're praying in a circle at church. This feels very uncomfortable to me. I was like, it's hot, it's sticky, I don't want to be touching anyone, especially not this man. Like, and it just felt so awkward to me, but to him, it wasn't awkward at all. And so now I'm in the place of my culture clashing up with this culture. And I realized in that moment, gosh, I have a thing with physical touch with dudes. Like, I, this is like, you know, this is the thing I got I to be aware of. Like, but I didn't know that about myself, really, until it came into conflict with that culture. As we think about the kingdom of God, and as we think of ourselves as followers of Jesus, we should be aware of what the culture is like in the kingdom of God and how that's different or in some cases maybe similar than the culture that we're a part of. When the king and his culture comes... It's either going to be in harmony with the things around us or it's going to be in conflict with the thing, things around us. The kingdom of God has its own kind of culture and we have to be careful to be aware of that because, we're, because if we're not careful, we will assume that the values of the kingdom of God are, are the same values that we have. And that's, we're in dangerous territory when we start thinking that way if we're not really clear about what, is the key, what are the values of the kingdom of God, what's the culture of the kingdom of God. Actually, I would come to, I would, I'm going to say this, and guys, I'm just going to, this is like trigger warning for the next month and a half. I'm going to offend everyone in this church. If you're sitting in the church and you're listening, you will be offended by something in the next eight weeks, I promise you. Because I think more often than not, the kingdom of God clashes up against the values that we have, and we're not aware of it. So we're going to look at how the kingdom of God right now is clashing up against some of our cultural values, some of the things that we see going, going on there. Now, before we kind of dive into all that, let me just do a little mini refresher on the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? Well, just remember that Jesus came on the scene and he begins to preach this message of good news. That's the, the word gospel. Mark chapter 1 and verse 14. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee and proclaimed the good news of God. Here's what he says. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So this is the central message. This is the gospel of Mark's way of kind of summing up the central message of Jesus. The central thing that Jesus talked about, that Jesus kind of did with his life, was all about the kingdom of God. It it, it comes out in everything Jesus says and he does. And remember, again, most of you know this, but just as a way of refreshing, just in case, that this idea is like buried in the back of the New Testament and then unfold. Or I'm sorry, Old Testament, and unfolds as the promises of God are revealed. So in the beginning, remember God creates the heavens and the earth, and the Bible's clear proclamation is God is king over it all. He is the uncontested king over everything. However, it becomes really clear through the witness of Scripture that God uniquely rules and reigns in heaven, that there's something about the way that God rules in heaven that's different than just the way we experience his rule and reign on earth. In heaven, his will is done. There's not a hint of disorder, evil, chaos, or sin. And our world is not like that, right? Like we certainly have plenty of disorder, (laughs) chaos, sin, etc., Our world that we live in is not as bad as it could be, but it's certainly not what God designed it to be. That's the way the scripture would reveal. And so the hope and the promise that unfolds throughout the Old Testament and then Jesus comes to fulfill is that one day, somehow or another, God would break into the world as we know it and that his kingdom would come, that he would rule on earth as it is in heaven, that his will would be done on earth as it is heaven, that he would bring the culture of the kingdom of God, where there's no sin, where there's no disorder, all of those kinds of things, that that would come, the shalom of God would come and break into our world. And so when Jesus comes and he begins to proclaim this message of good news of the kingdom of God, he's saying that that thing that you have been longing for, that, that promise that I would, that God would come and break into this reality, that is here among you right now. And, and what Jesus was saying and what he was doing, and even in his very person, the kingdom of God, that rule and reign of God that had been promised so long ago was actually coming into the earth because the king has come. The culture of heaven... Is now invading the culture of Earth. That's a different way of kind of looking at it. It's the same way to say the same thing. The culture of heaven is now invading the culture of Earth because the King is coming. Where the King goes, His culture goes with Him. Where the King is, the culture goes with Him. So, as followers of Jesus, Jesus is our King, and we are citizens of His kingdom. Okay. So he's king, and we are citizens of his kingdom, so here's the deal. We have to acclimate to his culture, and we have to be aware of how our king operates, what's the culture of his kingdom, and how does that clash with the culture that we're in. So let's, like, we're going to take a look at just kind of, this is an intro to the series, at one story where the kingdom culture invades a small town, and see what we can learn from that. That's that's where we're going to go. So that's background. This This is the meat. You ready? Yes, I like it. Cool. All right. Luke chapter 8, verse 26 through 29. Here's what it says. This is Jesus and his disciples, and they've, Jesus has just calmed the wind and the waves, and now he's going over to the other side of the lake. Here's what it says. They sailed into the region of Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, "'What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High? I beg you, don't torture me.' For Jesus had commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken the chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places.'" Let's pause right there. Here's the first thing I want us to see, that the kingdom culture confronts evil. Kingdom culture confronts evil. I love how in this story, it is such an immediate thing that the moment that Jesus gets off the boat, he's immediately confronted with this kind of demon-possessed person. It's like, it's automatic that when the king shows up, evil kind of reveals itself for what it is. It was like the evil, he's not necessarily dealing with the, with the man himself that, that is oppressed by this demonic activity. He's actually dealing with the, demon, the demons themselves that are impressing this person. And we get the picture here is that when, light, when the light switch kind of turns on, it immediately reveals how dark things were. It's an immediate confrontation of darkness. There's no, like, soft warm-up. There's no, like, Jesus coming and, like, being super nice and, like, the picture of Jesus that we typically, like, like and makes us feel real good. It's an immediate confrontation with evil. The, the the moment that the king shows up, he brings the culture of heaven with him, and where that culture shows up, it's an immediate conflict with evil and darkness. Darkness and evil is not allowed to go on, unkind un, of untethered in the presence of the king. When the king shows up, it actually confronts evil. I think that that's really important for us to, to wrap our minds around and understand because I think uh, so often we, we forget that our that this is a holy king. This is an all-powerful king. This is a king that has all authority in heaven and earth. And when he steps in, it draws out the evil that's there and it immediately confronts it. When the king shows up and he brings the culture of heaven, it actually cannot, like evil can't just persist uh, the way it was before. Have you ever been... Uh, and I, I have maybe I should say this way I don't, I don't want to ask you because I don't want you to raise your hand and reveal this uh, but when I was in college I moved into an apartment and we we as we were getting ready to move in the apartment we discovered this apartment was roach infested it's really gross and you would turn the lights on and the roaches would scatter Have you ever seen this and it's because they don't like the light and so the moment you walk in and turn the lights on, the cockroaches scatter. It's like it reveals kind of what was going on. The mo- they were there all along, but the moment that you turn the lights on, they, they kind, of, kind of scatter. Now, evil is all, not always like so obvious like it is in this story. Like it's not always this overt demonic oppression or possession like this person was experiencing. But the kingdom of God, if the king is left to have his way, it will always reveal evil for what it really is. And it will always seek a way to overcome it. Guys, you can't have a genuine move of God in your life, or in our church, or in our community, and there not be a confrontation with evil. It's just not possible. Because when the king rules and reigns, he overcomes evil. And it seems like to me, like, a lot of us, like, even myself, I can be really comfortable with things that I know are the influence of, of, enemy, of the enemy in my life. But the more I give God sway, the more I say, King Jesus, have your way in me, rule over, I surrender to you, rule and reign, the more I realize I've been under the influence of the enemy in different areas of my life. The more I realize how, man, there's this, there's this dark corner of my heart that I didn't know was there. This selfish entitlement maybe, or this this fear of losing things, or this this sense of of need for validation from people. I have these different, they're not necessarily those overt demonic uh, possessions like this person, but there is still evil that I'm often allowed to enter me. And if I want to surrender to the king, there's no way for me to have and walk in relationship with this king and for those evil things not to be confronted in my heart. It's not possible. We can't have the kingdom of God without the king. And if the king is going to come, he's going to confront evil in all its forms, whether it's the overt, ooh, spiritual, spooky stuff, or it's the stuff that's hidden that we don't want to talk about, that we don't know about. It's not always overly like dramatic, demonic kinds of stuff. Sometimes it's more subtle and cloaked and like human vices. But the reality is everything in our life And everything on heaven and earth is coming under the rulership of Jesus. Do you know that? Right now, everything in heaven and earth is being submitted to the lordship of Jesus. This is the witness of the New Testament. That right now, everything that you know is being placed under his feet. At at some point in time, there will be no hell left on earth. Hell will be removed from this earth. So, the, when the king comes, that is what he's doing. He's removing hell from our lives and he's removing hell from theirs. He is removing evil. He's confronting the powers and the principalities, either the overt ones or the hidden ones that are in our lives, so that we can actually experience freedom. We're going to get to that part in just a second. Let me just, this is an aside. I know that this, like, this little passage here is primarily about kind of the demonic activity and this Jesus confronting this authority and this power, but I want you to lean in and just notice that it says right at the end of those verses that I said that the, the demon let this person and led him to solitary places. I want you to know that is one of the key tactics of, of the enemy to lead you to a place of isolation. Through shame, through condemnation, through inconvenience, through fear. It is the plan of the enemy to lead you into isolated places. Sometimes that isolation can look like being in a room like with people and feeling alone. A lot of times that isolation looks like keeping you away from the people who really love you and especially the family of God. And I think that one of the things that's happened over this last year, last almost two years, is that demonic principality and power has had its run. There are a lot of really lonely people. A lot of really lonely people. And we have to make sure that we're not allowing that to rule our lives. It is so easy to become isolated and not even know it. It is so easy to find ourselves cut off from the people of God and relationships that actually bring life through the people of God. And guys, and we just can't stand for that. It's demonic activity. Now, now, I want you to hear me, here's what, and I'm going to press into this in a few weeks. I'm not talking about those who feel like they, they really need to be cautious because they've got health concerns and that kind of stuff. Look, if, I don't want you to feel an ounce of guilt or shame about that, because I know that some people really have had to make some really hard choices. But here's the thing, I'm telling you, even if you have done that, the enemy wants to prey on that. He does, I'm just telling you, He does to make you feel like no one understands you and no one understands the struggle and the choices that you've made. It's not true. It's not true. People do understand the choices that you made and they may not be in your shoes and have total empathy for your situation, but they get what it's like to be lonely. It's a lie of the enemy to make you believe that no one else understands me. No one else has experienced what I've experienced. It's demonic activity. It leads you to a deeper place of isolation. Do you hear what I'm saying? So I don't, I don't want you to feel guilt or shame if you've had to be cautious and stay away for whatever, whatever reason. But here's what I say, it's time to come out of your isolation. If you have to meet online with a person every single week who's going to spur you on to love and good deeds, do whatever you have to do, it. do not allow the enemy to have his sway in your life. And, and there are people who are doing all kinds of social things and spending all kinds of people who are still in isolation. So it doesn't have anything to do with necessarily whether you show up here on Sunday, although this is a really big part of it. This is the enemy having his way, making us feel like no one gets me, no one understands me, I'm all alone. That's the voice of your enemy, not the voice of the king. The voice of your, the voice of your king is calling you into community, It's calling you into vulnerability, is calling you into relationship, is calling you into godly relationships. Told you. Because here's the deal. The kingdom culture brings freedom. It doesn't just confront evil. The kingdom, the culture of the kingdom desires to bring freedom to you. The culture of the king, the king's heart and his desire is to bring freedom. The confrontation with evil is part of what the king does, but it's not like Jesus the king just wants to conquer evil for the sake of conquering evil. Yeah, he wants victory over evil, but he wants us us to experience the freedom of the kingdom. He's moved with compassion by those who are bound in evil. He's moved with compassion for those who are feeling isolated or who are demon-oppressed or whatever it might be. He's moved with compassion. So when the kingdom culture comes, it brings freedom. Let's read on in the story. Verse 30, Jesus asks him, he's talking to the demon now, "'What is your name?' Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him, and they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order him to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was, feed, was feeding there on the hillside. De- the demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs, and he gave them permission. And when the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down to the steep bank, uh, into the lake, and was drowned. And when those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this to the town and the countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. I love, this is so awesome. And when they came to Jesus, they found the man from, uh, from whom the demons had gone out sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. Do you see? It's a person inflicted with the pain and humility. Uh, I'm uh, Like, not not the good kind of humility. I'm talking about humiliation. Stripped of his clothes, cut off from his people, an embarrassment to his family, hurt himself. He's physically in pain. And all of a sudden, all of that is overcome when a king gives permission for the demons to go. One word, and he brings freedom into this broken situation. And this is what the culture of the kingdom of God does. It brings freedom and healing and hope and restoration. Jesus confronts evil in order to bring good. He doesn't just confront evil. I want you to hear this. He doesn't just confront evil. Anyone can hold up a sign that says God hates people. That's not the heart of God. The heart of God says, you know what? Maybe the things that you're doing are not good and they're not beneficial to you, but I want to set you free. The heart of God is to confront evil for the sake of bringing good, for the sake of bringing freedom. That is what the kingdom of culture is, is all about, is bringing freedom. If we have a culture that in, involves some of the aspects of the kingdom, but doesn't lead people into freedom, then we're not doing it right. Right? Because everywhere Jesus went where he sets people, where he uh, kind of fights against the evil powers, he sets people free. Whether he's these kind of overt demonic powers or whether he's dealing with people who are like keeping people away. How many times did Jesus have encounters with rich religious people because they won't let other sinners sit at their table? Jesus turns that completely on its head and says, no, these are my people and sits them at the table with him, Right? Where the Pharisees thought that they were fighting evil by their morals and by their 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 restrictions and their rules, they only had one piece of the puzzle. They were fighting evil, but they weren't fighting for freedom. Do you see? The culture of the kingdom of God invades and it confronts evil directly, but it also brings freedom. And who doesn't want that? Like, I love that description of that man in the story that he's sitting there, he's clean, and he's in his right mind. Guys, I have such a um, a hope that wells up in my heart when I read that passage for what's possible for our neighbors and our friends and our towns and our community to see people in their right minds, (laughs) at peace, shalom of the soul, right? Not just cleaned up on the outside, but cleaned on the inside. People who were oppressed with anxiety and fear who were set free. People who thought that they couldn't be included finding a home. People who had physical ailments that kept them from being able to do this, that, or the other, all of a sudden finding themselves healed. Like people who, uh, I mean, you, you name it. Like, God, this is the heart of God. And if we have a different agenda, we have to change our agenda. Try and Lawrence. <laughs> so who doesn't want that? Well, it turns out some people don't. So the next verses, actually the end of verse 35, here's what it says. After this person was healed and he's sitting at the feet of Jesus, it says they were afraid. And verse 36, those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. Hey, that's great. And then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and He left. This might be one of the saddest verses in all of Scripture. To me, this is an absolutely astonishing story. A man who was known to be be possessed by a demon isolated and hurt, who brought shame and and disorder to his family, who, who was clearly a tormented kind of person, who everyone in this community, this would not have been a secret. This would have been, like, we're not talking about Wakanda, like, size people. We're talking about a small community where everybody knows everybody. Everyone would have known the pain and torment that this person had been through and that his family would have been through. And the only one who could bring this person freedom and many others like him just happens to end up on their shores and set this person free and they get to witness it, right? You would think that a revival would break out right there and that people would run and start going to get all their friends and say, hey, come, come. Jesus is setting people free. He's overcoming evil and he's setting people free. But it says here in Luke, they were afraid. So they asked Jesus to leave. And the other gospels, it kind of leaves it open-ended. It doesn't say they were afraid. And so some people have speculated that that was a mix. Maybe these people were afraid. Maybe they were just like, this is too much for us, Jesus. We can't quite handle this. Or a lot of people think that maybe it was because of the amount of money that would have been lost by these pigs kind of jumping off the cliff. We're talking about thousands of pigs more than likely. And so this would have been a great financial distress to people. And so the people want Jesus to leave because they don't want him to ruin their economy. Either way, let's call it like it is. The king showed up and brought healing and it was rejected by the very people who could have benefited from it. Whatever it was they valued, it was different than what Jesus valued. Whatever it was, whether it was fear, oh, this is too much, guess what? Jesus wasn't concerned about that. Jesus wasn't like, oh, I don't want to do too much for you guys. I don't want to set this person free of this demonic activity because it might scare you. He was like, no, this person needs help, and we're going to deliver him right now, right? I don't care about everyone's fears here. If it was financially motivated, guess what? Jesus cares more about the human than he did about the pigs, right? Right? Whatever values they had, they came into clear conflict with the values that Jesus had in that moment. When the king showed up, he brought healing, and they had a different agenda. You see, the kingdom culture will expose our values. Kingdom culture exposes, it brings to the surface the things that we we value. When the king shows up when he does his thing, it reveals what we really care about. It reveals the culture and the system that we have bought into. So what should have happened in this story? What should have happened is there should have been a headline that says, Jesus the Messiah has come and has set the oppressed free. Everyone come and celebrate the king of kings. That's what the headline should have been. Instead of, the, the headline was probably something like this, crazy man shows up on our shores and does something really scary. Or, you know, person comes and doesn't care about the pigs. Like, you just, do you see how silly and foolish this is? But these people didn't know that this was what was in their heart. We, it's easy for us to sit and judge and think that we would, we would respond differently, but we don't. Because we often don't know the culture that's in our heart, the culture that we're embedded in, that is in somehow in contrast to the kingdom of God. See, the kingdom showed up, and it showed up, and it revealed either, man, they really had no value for this person. By the way, where were the people ministering to this person? What's really clear in this text is that everybody was afraid of this person. And it could have been because their interpretation of the law said that he was unclean and they couldn't be around him. It could have been, I'm about to get real fired up, that they were afraid of the demonic activity. They were afraid of the spiritual realm that that they thought they knew so much about. And so out of their fear, they let this person remain oppressed. They let this person be harmed and hurt. Maybe they went out and prayed a lot of times and nothing ever happened. Actually, it says that, that in other texts that they were beaten up or whatever. But man, how heartbreaking it would be that we would give up on people who are harassed by an enemy. How heartbreaking is that? That we, would, that we would ever let the kingdom of darkness ever overcome the light. There should have been people hosting a prayer rally around this person 24-7 until he had deliverance. Where are the people? They didn't value what Jesus valued. Jesus walks in and in one instant sets this person free. Maybe they cared more about the safety and security and the economics of the situation. Whatever it was, they cared more about that than the freedom that Jesus could bring because they asked Jesus to leave when he does his thing. Can, can you imagine that? I, I, I just I can't fathom it. I can't fathom saying, Jesus, no thanks. We know you can do, but, but no thanks. Do you know that the truth of the Gospels is reveals over and over again, this is what people do to Jesus all the time. You know, people often believe if, if I saw God do all these incredible miracles, I would believe so much. Tell that to the New Testament church. There's 120 left after the resurrection. Out of the thousands that witnessed Jesus feed them from fish and loaves. Who experienced, I mean, the accounts of the healing of Jesus sounds like there were days long lines of Jesus praying and people experiencing physical healing historians will say this is an accurate account. Jesus, if he was nothing else, was a teacher and a healer. If that, if they, I mean, these, these aren't even people who are religious followers of Jesus. They would say there's no question that this is what Jesus was about. Yet at the end, there's only 120 who actually are at Jesus and gather. And there's probably a collection of more who just weren't in the upper room that day. But that's the core that's left after the cross and the resurrection. I, I say this Because I think that all of us, I'm I'm putting myself right here, guys. I'm not preaching at you. This is I could just turn around and talk to me. It's like the culture that's in my heart is often in contrast with the culture of the kingdom of God. And what Jesus does is he steps in and he blows up all of that and he reveals what he values and what the culture of heaven is really like. He's not afraid to step into the mess. He's not afraid to, he's not, he's not thinking about what will people think of me? All of a sudden I have the Jesus freak song in my head. What well, people, yeah, yeah, appreciate that. Yeah. He, he's just not concerned about that. Actually, every opportunity Jesus has to blow up people's expectations of him, he does. So he's accused of being a glutton and a sinner. <laughs> he drinks too much and he eats too much. Like he spends too much time with prostitutes This is our savior, guys. This is the holy God of heaven saying, I don't care what your expectations are. I have come to bring the culture of heaven to earth, and it is going to disrupt what you think. He defied expectation. Everyone who thought they knew what they were looking for finds themselves kind of with their hat in their hand going, like, this is not what I thought. This is fun, guys. This is so good. Jesus is not afraid to come in and disrupt our expectations. And this last point is the thing I think where we really need a tune-up. I just don't think because culture is kind of like the air that we breathe, we don't recognize it until all of a sudden we don't have it, right? Or like, you know, like a fish doesn't know it's in water until it's out of water and it's like starved for the water, like, you don't, you don't recognize how much you need the air that you're breathing in until you have a hard time breathing, right? Those of you who struggle with asthma or have had lung problems or, like, those kinds of things, like, you recognize, gosh, I need this air in my lungs. Like, we just take for granted what's going around us all the time. And we, we've just allowed ourselves to be so influenced by the culture around us that we don't actually recognize, like, how different the kingdom of God actually might be. And so I think we need a reminder of the values of Jesus and the culture of the kingdom of God. And here's the thing, I think for every single one of us, like if we really lean into this, we're all just going to be a little bit offended because we all want to think that Jesus thinks like I think and acts like I act and values the thing I value. And it's just so often he doesn't. And so I even, as I'm preaching this, as I'm preparing and putting the series together, I'm having to go, gosh, is this Chael or is this Jesus? Like, is this just what I think? Or is this like, is this really what Jesus thinks? Like, is this, like, I'll, I'll be real honest with you guys. Like, I don't ever want to abuse this opportunity that I have up here to share, to share my opinions about things. Guys, I have lots of opinions. I really hope that they don't ever come across most of the time, not because I don't, you want to have a conversation, we'll have a conversation. But what I want is for as, as best as I possibly can for, this, for the, Jesus to get the attention and to be as an accurate picture as possible about who Jesus actually is. So if people accept Jesus, they accept him on his terms, or they reject Jesus, they reject him on his terms, not on my terms or my, not my explanation. But it's hard, guys. It's hard to know. It's hard to know how am I being influenced by the culture around me. Not, and, and, and it's easy to talk about culture around me as in kind of like, a, you know, we talk about culture, we often think of politics and, uh, and those kind of things. Yeah, there's that kind of culture, but there's also the culture of my heart. There's the way I've allowed the world to inform the way I think, the way I believe, the way I act. And so here, we're gonna step into the series and we're gonna look at some different things and we're gonna see how Jesus confronts, how he exposes those things, how he confronts those things, and how he desires to bring freedom. Here's the truth. Here's the good news. This may not sound like really good news, but I got good news. Ready? Ready for the good news? You're like, yeah, you're beating us up tonight. The king wants you to be free. And as long as we play into the system that our enemy has like wants us to adopt and the culture, the values that he has instilled in our hearts and, and, and around us, we're not free. And it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Jesus went to the cross, and he definitively made a way for each of, of us to experience the freedom of God in our lives, to be totally free from the shackles of sin. But like, it's like we don't recognize it, and we have to continually be aware of it so that we know, gosh, I'm walking the way the king walks. I'm walking in the spirit of God rather than in the flesh. I'm keeping in step with the spirit, as the Apostle Paul used to say, instead of keeping in step with my flesh. Like this, These are the things God wants freedom for us. He wants joy for us. He wants peace. He wants hope. He wants shalom. And he wants that for everybody around you. So I feel like he's saying, here's the keys, guys. Go unlock yourselves and go unlock the prison doors around you and set people free. Like, why walk around and stumbling around in darkness when we can walk around with hope and joy and peace? Like, why accept that? Everyone around us needs to experience this freedom. And unless we're aware... Of how this culture has influenced us. So the way that we've we've adopted the the, the the things of the world into our lives and our ways of thinking, we just will never be able to really walk in the freedom that God has for us. And here's the thing, sometimes when we come into the kingdom of God, sometimes when we're walking with Jesus the King, it it's a journey of surrender. It doesn't necessarily feel at first like a journey of freedom. We have to let go of the things that we would like to believe the things that we'd like to hold on to, the things that make us feel comfortable, the things that, that, that make me feel good about the decisions I've made and the way I've structured my life and those kind of things. Like Sometimes we have to let those things go and it doesn't always feel good. That's why there's a little bit of a somber feeling in the room because we all know that there are things in our heart that we're gonna have to be confronted and that doesn't feel like freedom, but I'm telling you, it's the pathway to freedom to let Jesus rule and reign in your hearts. It's the pathway to freedom. So we're going to tackle some, some hot topics. We're going to look at how fear is ru- like just reigning and ruling over so much of us right now. We're going to look at how a spirit of rebellion is ruling and reigning of, over us right now. We're going to look at how the desire for comfort and security is ruling and reigning over us right now. We're going to look at how the spirit of wanting more instead of the spirit of generosity is ruling and reigning over. us. We're, we're gonna look at a lot of different things here over the next few months. And my hope is that what God will actually do is set some people free. That, 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 that each week, there will be a moment in time where somebody feels like that person sitting at the feet of Jesus, who feels like cleaned up and in their right mind. Like, man, I did not know that I was entrapped in this, but now that I know, I feel like I'm set free. Do you believe that Jesus can do that? Or do we want to send him out of the room? Right? Let us never be that kind of church. Like, I want Jesus to have his way. It's so much better with him. I want our level of joy and peace and love and all those things to grow and and, and increase in in our hearts. And I want that for you as individuals. I want that for me. I want that for my family and your family and our church family. And I want that to spread like wildfire in our community. So Jesus, would you you just reveal that you are king? Would you help us to recenter our hearts on you as king? And would you let every idol in our life bow down? I pray even right now that the conviction of the Holy Spirit that brings us to righteousness and repentance would begin to work its way in our hearts and minds. And I pray against the spirit of offense that would, that would stand in the way that would say no or say no to a man. I pray that no one would say no to the God Almighty, the God of heaven and earth, the God who reigns and rules in power and majesty. And I pray, God, that you would, that you would overcome evil with your goodness and your light. I pray that there would be a spirit of joy where there feels like there's a spirit oppression right now. I pray, God, that you would elevate our thinking to see the king in all of his glory and all of his holiness, God. I pray that you would come, Jesus, come, and that you would deliver us from the things that are holding us back, the things that are oppressing us. Would you help us, God, reveal the culture that we've bought into, the lies that we have believed, God? Would you set your people free? It is for freedom that you set us free. So, God, I long for freedom so much, and I long for that for my friends and our people, God. I pray for freedom to reign and to rule and I pray for every demon to be silenced, every spirit of oppression to be silenced. I pray for every lie to be silenced, and I pray instead, God, that you would replace it, God, with your word that stands forever. The word of the Lord stands forever. The word of the Lord is righteous and will not return void. So I pray, God, that your word would rule and reign in our hearts. Jesus, would you make us disciples again, learners of a new way of life, Teach us how to not carry the burdens that the world wants to put on us and instead walk in the freedom that you say. My burden is easy and my yoke is light. So, Jesus, we come to you and we want to learn from you. Give us rest for our souls. Give us rest for our souls. God, we're, I just confess, Lord, on behalf of my friends and my family, we are weary of carrying the weight of the world. So Jesus, teach us a new way to walk, a new way to be salt and light. Guys, I don't, I don't want you to think that any of this is coming from an angry place or a frustrated place or anything like that. I think that God is wanting to renew something in his people where we are really, genuinely serious about being Christians. About being followers of Jesus Christ and living life His way rather than the way that we might prefer, rather than the way that might fill the room. One day I'm gonna preach a seminary course on how to shrink your church even smaller than it is. <laughs> As I know that this is heavy. I, I, I know that there are some things here that are, are weighty, and I know that this isn't necessarily the message that, that a lot of people, like, man, I can't bring my friends to this place. This guy is like, man, what's going on? I just long for such an authentic expression of a kingdom community. It's uncompromising in our allegiance to our King that's free from the entanglements of our culture and the political dialogue that seems to be ruling the day that's going to be different in five years from now, a different five years. I just don't care about any of that stuff. I just don't care. And I think that what God is trying to do is draw together a group of people who have that same kind of commitment who are willing to lay their lives down and their preferences down and their com- their, conveni- like, their convenience and their comfort for the sake of experiencing genuine and true freedom and extending that to other people. I really, really genuinely believe that that's what's in God's heart. And I'm just going to tell you, I'm just not going to give up on that, on that dream. I know that's the dream that's in my heart, and that's the dream that's in the leaders of this church. And if that is your dream, I want you to be all in with me and all in with us. And I promise that we probably won't get it right all the time. We won't hit all the right notes. um, But we're going to do our best and we're going to surrender and submit to God when we don't, right? So I would just love for you to be a part of this journey with us. I'd love for you to reach out to some people who you know should be here and aren't here, or you know should be watching online and aren't watching online. Like, let's build what God is doing here together, right? Let's be inviters and includers. You can give them, a, it comes with a warning label. Preacher might cry and yell, you know. But also, you're gonna be loved. So I love you guys so much. And so thankful for you. And so thank you for, for being here. Thank you for leaning in. Let's see what Jesus is going to do in disrupting our lives with his culture over the next few weeks and months, okay? Amen. Have a good week, guys.